We're going we're gonna to be in Ephesians chapter 3. But before we get to Ephesians, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 13? And we are going to first discuss a parable that Jesus told. A parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13. You know, when I lived in Squim, our family uh, had a friend who worked at the Elwha Dam before it was removed in 2012. And my siblings and I, we would go to this, uh, to our friend, we'd go to this dam while our friend was working. And he'd allow my siblings and I to stand at the bottom of the, near the base of the floodgates. And he would tell us, I'm about to open up the gates and water's going to come rushing out. So here's where you stand if you want to get a good, good, you know, to get a good watch of it. And so we go down to the base of the floodgates, and he opened them up as water would just come raging out of these floodgates. And I just remember being in awe at the power of all the water coming out of this out of this dam. And I remember one time in particular, my dad was filming, and we saw uh, this little tree in the middle of the river, this tiny little tree, not not. I don't know. I'm not good with ages of trees, so don't ask me how old it was. But there's little trees in the middle of the river, and I'm watching this water is just slamming against this tree. And the tree is bending and waving, but it's not moving. It was firmly anchored. It was firmly rooted in the soil. And I thought to myself, even at a young age, wow, this is such a great picture of what it means to be firmly rooted, to be firmly grounded. You know, there's many people in our country who would claim to be Christians, but few have developed any roots. Many of my own friends that I grew up with, that I went to church with, many of them were in my wedding. They've uh, completely walked away from their faith, and they claim to be Christians, but they never developed any roots throughout their journey of faith. Developing roots is key to establishing a faith that's going to last for eternity, and I watched people undergo the most heartbreaking circumstances, whether it's the loss of a child or a diagnosis of cancer or a crippling accident. But because they were rooted in Christ, they emerge from the other side with a stronger faith and they have a confidence in Jesus. And alternatively, I've witnessed Christians walk away from Jesus altogether because of a job loss or divorce or financial difficulty. And so it's vital that each believer develops their own roots. But Root development takes time, doesn't it? It doesn't happen overnight. Jesus told a parable about God's word taking root within our hearts. And so in Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to recap this for you, and then we're going to read Jesus' explanation. But Jesus tells this parable of a sower who sows seeds along different types of soil. And so he throws the seed on rocky ground, and he says that, uh, that when the sun came up, it scorched the seed. It withered away because it didn't develop any roots. Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and ate up the seed. Some seeds fell along some thorns, but as it grew, the thorns choked out the seed, and it wasn't fruitful, it wasn't productive. And then he says, some seeds fell along good soil, and it took root, and it developed a harvest, it developed a crop. And in Matthew 13, verse 18, Jesus explains this parable. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. He says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom... And does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Notice that he says when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, not if. 
God's word brings trouble and persecution to those who disagree. It's controversial. The truth of God today in our culture, it is scandalous. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Isn't this parable such a, such a picture of what we experience today in our culture? Is that the word of God is, has been cast out to the world. That, that the invitation of Jesus has been cast to everyone who would hear. But some people hear the word of God and they might receive it at first with joy and get excited. But they don't develop any roots. There's no discipleship. There's no formation. So they, they get excited about it. And maybe you have friends who or, or family members who come and say, I found Jesus. And they, they're, they're passionate for a little while. But then the worries of life come and they fall away. It chokes their faith. And then there's people who might believe, who hear the word. But then the enemy comes and he snatches away the word with deceitful thoughts and with lies. This is such a picture of what we experience in our culture today, that this, this, this parable that was told from the mouth of Jesus is still so relevant to us today. And some seed falls along good soil and develops good fruit because it has roots. Christians are recognized by the crop they produce. Jesus said in Luke 6.44 that a tree is recognized by its fruit. But fruit-bearing is the last step in the growth process, isn't it? First, a seed is planted, as Jesus mentioned in this parable, and then the Holy Spirit continues to water that seed, and a root system begins to develop underground, and eventually we see a shoot that breaks above the soil into the air and sunlight, and both the plant and the root system continue to grow until the plant is mature enough to bear fruit. You have to be bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. I love this quote by Banning Liebscher. He's the pastor of Jesus Culture and wrote a book called Rooted. He says this in his book, Rooted. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus, then your calling and destiny are to be fruitful. Fruit is not a bunch of spiritual or religious activities like going to church, reading your Bible, keeping the Ten Commandments, or even preaching the gospel. Fruit means that when people taste your life, you taste like Jesus. And he goes on to say this, for you to bear abundant, enduring fruit, God needs to make you bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. You have to let him build your root system in secret before he leads you into making a visible impact in the world. When I was in Anaheim last June, uh, my wife and Kitty and I, we went to go visit Christina's grandmother who lives near there. And she's got a bunch of citrus trees in her backyard. And I tried a kumquat for the first time. Has anybody had a kumquat before? I never had one of these before, but I, she had this kumquat tree in the back, and I picked a kumquat, and they taste very tart at first, but then so sweet. And when you're done eating a kumquat, you feel like you just took the best breath mint, like your mouth is so citrusy fresh. It's a wonderful feeling, and I thought, this has got to be one of my new favorite fruits. The point is this. I don't want my life to taste bitter or rotten when others are around me. I hope that they experience Jesus. I hope that when people 
are around me and they experience my life and what God is doing, I hope that they experience the sweetness of God's love. I hope my life tastes like Jesus. And I'm sure that's what you hope as well, that your life tastes like Jesus. And the fruit that we produce when we allow God to develop our root system, it's known as the fruit of the Spirit. And it's described in Galatians 5.22, where Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That these are the qualities that your life produces. These are the things that your life produces when you are rooted in Christ's love. Now, if you want to know whether or not you're rooted in Christ's love, ask yourself, do I have love in my, does my life emanate love? Does my life emanate joy and peace and goodness and faithfulness and self-control? Does my life emanate the fruit of the Spirit? It's a quick litmus test for if I am rooted or grounded in Christ's love. Is Does my life emanate these fruits of the Spirit? Do people experience these fruits when they are around me? Or do they experience bitterness and unforgiveness? Do they experience depression? Do they experience not the, the opposite of self-control? Do they experience impulsiveness? What do people experience when they are around me? Because the fruit of the Spirit is what people are to experience when they are around a follower of Christ. I want to be a Christian who emanates these qualities. And I want to be a part of a church that emanates these qualities. But it begins when we are rooted and grounded. And this is what we call discipleship. Another word for it is spiritual formation or, or sanctification. It's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. When Jesus invited his disciples to follow him, he said, watch me, listen to me, act like me, become more and more like me. And so we are all being formed. We are all being discipled by something or someone. And Jesus is inviting you to be developed by him, to develop roots in his love. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays this amazing, powerful prayer that the church would be strengthened and rooted in love. And he wants the church to experience more than just shallow and weak faith. You know, there was a time in my life where my faith was shallow and it was weak. Because I did not develop roots. And I, 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 there was a, a point in my life where I had to make a decision that if I, was I going to walk away from Jesus and do my own thing. And some of us have been down that road. And maybe you're back here today and, and you are reconnecting with the, your first love with Jesus. But we've, many of us have been down that road. There's been a time in my life where my faith was shallow and weak, but, but Paul is praying that the church, that their faith would be strengthened, that they would be rooted and grounded, and the church would be full of power. If you're just joining us today, we've been going through the book of Ephesians throughout the summer, and we're in chapter 3, verse 14. And so we are going to pick up from where we left off last time I spoke. And remember, last week's message was a big tangent. Because at the beginning of, 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 the, of the phrase, the beginning of the chapter last week, Paul says, for this reason, and then he goes off into a tangent and he picks up his train of thought. And so Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, he says, for this reason, 
I bow my knee before the Father. When he says for this reason, he's referring to what he mentioned in Ephesians chapter 2 when he was talking about how Jesus has become our peace. That Jew and Gentile are now members of the same family and there is no more division, that he broke down the wall of hostility. Paul is referring back to what he said about Jew and Gentile coming together under one body. We are all being built up into one temple. And so Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So he's saying that we all have one origin. For those of us in Christ, we are all named as one family under one Father. We have one Father. We are all one. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Look to somebody next to you and say, strengthened. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. I love this part. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Turn to somebody and say, all the fullness. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Did you catch what Paul is praying for? The crux of his prayer what he's ultimately wishing, what he's ultimately praying for his church. He wants the church to be rooted, to be strengthened, to be grounded. Well, what is the church rooted in? It's rooted in love, that we would be rooted in love, understanding that the, the love that Christ has for his church is the soil in which the church grows its root system. The love of Christ is where we develop our roots. I moved in 2020 to Afreda from the Willamette Valley in Oregon. And if you've ever been to the Willamette Valley, uh, you know that it's known for its incredible vineyards and its wineries. There's grapes and vineyards everywhere. And the reason that the Willamette Valley is so ideal for growing grapes is because of this, of this reddish-brown dirt known as Jory soil that inhabits that part of Oregon. And a friend of mine who went to our, our former church, he owned a vineyard in the Willamette Valley, and he, he was telling me, about how the soil provided the perfect minerals and was perfectly drained to nurture all kinds of growth. It was the ideal soil. It was what you want when you grow grapes. What's the point? There is no better soil in which to develop roots than love. It has everything you need. The love of Christ has everything you need to grow strong and produce the fruit of the Spirit. It is the perfect soil. And it's no surprise that having confidence in Christ's love is the very thing that the enemy causes us to doubt when we mess up, isn't it? It's the very thing that the enemy comes after. Our minds, they fill with lies. When we make a mistake, when we sin, we're suddenly filled with shame, shameful thoughts that come from the enemy. And our minds fill with lies like, God doesn't love me anymore. He's angry with me. Or God is currently spending time with his favorite people, but he doesn't hear my prayers. Has anybody ever thought those thoughts before? Am I the only one? Take heart knowing that the first century church, they also wrestled with these thoughts, which is 
why Paul prayed for us to know. I love this phrase. He says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What an oxymoron. I want you to know a kind of love that you cannot possibly know. I want you to know the kind of love that surpasses knowing. But he prays this for the church, that, you, that we would gain this deep understanding of the vastness of the love of Christ and how it, it has everything that we need. And then he says this. He includes this phrase. He says that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. And the Greek word for fullness, it literally means to be filled to the brim, unable to hold anymore. It means completely saturated. Can you imagine being filled with all the fullness of God? Like if that prayer was for real. Paul says, I want you to know all the fullness of God. I want you to take in so much of the presence of God that you cannot hold anymore. That you'd be completely filled. Completely filled to the brim and overflowing. Can you imagine experiencing that kind of love? That is the prayer that Paul prays for the church. He's optimistic, isn't he? And I believe Paul. I believe that the word of God is true. But that is exactly what Paul prays. And that is exactly what our church vision statement is all about. I apologize for not putting this vision statement in front of us more often. But our, a couple years ago, some, some people on our leadership team got together and we developed a, a vision statement and, and sort of a strategy for the next 10, 15 years. And so this is our vision statement for Desert Church is we exist to see dry places saturated with the presence of God. Saturated means completely filled, just as Paul was talking about. And at Desert Church, we believe that a move of God could cause the entire Columbia Basin to be filled with people whose hearts are overflowing with the love of God. We believe it. That, we, that is our desire. I, 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 I pray and I hope that people who come to our church don't just hear the word and develop a shallow faith, but they are discipled and they undergo a process of spiritual formation and they start developing deep roots and are strengthened and are rooted in God's love. Because the last thing that I want is for somebody to hear a word and say, that was good, that felt good, I like the way you preach, and they leave and nothing changes. And they're not different. Because the, the point of the word of God is that it is supposed to transform you. It's supposed to change you. When you hear the word of God, you're supposed to say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you're asking me to do in light of this truth? And that is my prayer, is that we are discipling people, that people would be truly saturated with God's presence. And this whole place, this, this dry area, this Columbia Basin, Ephrata, Quincy, Moses Lake, Soap Lake, that it would be filled with people who are passionately pursuing the love of Christ. So how do you go about partnering with God in this move of the Spirit? What's our strategy? Basically, we believe that it happens when people are rooted in three areas of life that we call soils. But all of these different types of soils, they're all connected by love. They're all, they've all got that love component in it. And we call these areas soils, and, and, and here's the three areas. Number one, we want people to be rooted in intimacy with God. That, they, that every person who comes to this church, or every person who, who is involved or hears a message from this church, that they begin to be rooted in intimacy with God. 
The second thing that we pray, we hope that people are rooted in is we want people to be rooted in community with the church. And I'm going to explain all these in detail. We want people to be rooted in community with the church. And thirdly, we want people to be rooted in service to the world. Because that's why Jesus came, right? To serve the world. And so not only do we want people to be rooted in intimacy with God and connected to the church, but we want people to serve the world. And so developing roots in all three of these areas is vital for producing fruit. And all of these areas are connected by love. But before we go into these three areas, I want you to imagine for a moment uh, removing one of these areas or removing your roots from one of these areas. So what happens when somebody develops roots in intimacy with God and community in the church, but not in service to the world? What happens? People become self-focused. They might be, you know, they might feel like they have a relationship with the Lord or, or they're connected with church community, but they become self-focused. They never move outside of their comfort zone by imitating Jesus in service to others because the point of intimacy with God, the point of being filled with his love is to share it with the world. It's to go out and make disciples. It's to share the grace of God with other people. What happens when somebody never develop develop roots in church community? They have nobody to encourage and challenge them. They isolate and are left alone and deal with their own addictions and bad habits and struggles on their own. They are left alone in isolation. Many people who left church in 2020 are discovering the significance of being rooted in community. That it was so important to Jesus. It was vital that his church would be connected, would be one, would be together. That we, we, have, we have individualized our faith in America. We have individualized uh, our pursuit of Jesus, thinking, I don't need anybody else. I'm good. I got my Bible. Jesus is all I need. But if that was the case, would God have come to Adam and say, hey, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. He would have just left Adam in the garden by himself. I mean, Adam had God. He walked with God in the cool of the day. He had a relationship with God face to face. But God came to him and said, no, no, no. You are designed for community. Even before the creation, we see God in this Trinitarian community. There's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. At the beginning of existence, he says, let us make mankind in our image. Referring to this divine community that existed before the beginning of time. We have been designed for community. What happens when you neglect roots in the soil of intimacy? Well, this is obvious. You have someone who's really good at playing the part, right? They come to church. They might volunteer at places, but there's nothing filling them up, and they eventually experience burnout because they're not attached to the vine. They're striving on their own ability. They aren't being fueled in God's presence. So let's talk about these three things. Rooted in in love means being rooted in intimacy with God. Matthew 22, 37 says this. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. We have to first develop roots in a passionate pursuit of God's presence. But how do we learn to love someone that we can't see with our eyes? How do we learn to develop intimacy with the God of the universe? I remember, I remember people telling me as a kid, Blake, Jesus loves you. Do you love Jesus? And I'd say, I think so. I mean, I can't see him, but like, 
yeah, I think I love God, and, and, and figuring out what it means to love somebody that you can't always see. That's difficult at times. But when I was 19 years old, I began to develop, uh, I, I began to spend time in the presence of God and truly fall in love with the person of Jesus. Truly fall in love with God and what he's done for me. It can only be developed, these roots in this intimacy with God. It can only be developed in what I call the inner room. Well, what is that? What is the inner room? Well, Matthew 6, 6, Jesus says this. He says, but when you pray, he says, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I think some of you need to hear this today. God doesn't have some sort of angelic receptionist at, at the desk before you come to God saying, oh, I'll make sure to pencil you in for a short meeting with God. Right? And you better keep it brief because God's busy. He's got a lot of stuff to do. We're going to pencil you in, but make it quick. No, no. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to keep it brief. The God of all creation eagerly waits for time with you every day. He's jealous of it. He wants it desperately. He wants, does he need it? No. Which makes it even more wonderful. Because he wants the relationship with you. He wants you to come to the secret place again and again. And for David, King David, the inner room was the shepherd field. For Moses, Moses was in God's presence on the mountain and in the tent. And John the Baptist, his inner room was in the desert. Jesus chose his inner room wherever he could. And he journeyed and ministered throughout Israel, regularly finding a lonely place to spend time with the Father. But it's modeled throughout Scripture that these mighty men and women of God had an inner room. They had intimacy with God. There is an anointing that can only be found in one place, church. You can go to as many conferences as you want to. You can listen to as many killer speakers as you could and, and watch as many YouTube videos as you want, but you're not going to find it there. God reserves certain things to only be found in the secret place when you are alone with him. And if you want to receive those things, you have to separate yourself into the inner room. Do you need vision? Do you need strategy for your future? It's waiting for you in the secret place. Do you need to be filled and encouraged? It's waiting for you in the secret place. Do you need to regain the joy of your salvation? It's waiting for you in the secret place. Do you need a peace of God that surpasses all understanding? And in, in a time of chaos, in a time of confusion, that peace is waiting for you in the secret place. And you can try to counterfeit the experience by imitating others who have been there. But if this connection with Jesus is not developed in your own life, your root system will never be healthy. You'll never find satisfaction or experience what you were created for outside of encountering the presence of God. And the Bible has many examples of people separating themselves into places to be alone with God. And we all need to develop this history with God that, that nobody else sees. They're crucial for developing a history with God that creates a security inside of you and a passion to see God's love shared with others. When we go into these inner rooms, these places dedicated to being alone with God, we receive things that are necessary in order for us to bear good and lasting fruit. And even now, this morning, I believe that God is, he's drawing some of you to this secret place. I think some of you are even now sitting here and you're looking forward to the next encounter with God. 
I think you're looking forward to tomorrow morning waking up just a little bit earlier to hear his voice. Does sitting in the presence of God always feel like the heavens are partying and you're just receiving this profound word? Absolutely not. I wish it did. I wish I had that promise to give you. It does happen sometimes. There's been moments where I come to the presence of God and he blows me away with how good he is. And I walk away just feeling strengthened and empowered. But most of the time, it's a discipline. Most of the time I go to this inner room and I say, God, I'm here. What do you, what do you want to do? I had a friend, he, say, he, he would tell me that he pictures when he goes to this inner room or when he goes to pray, he pictures Jesus, he pictures Jesus pulling up in a pickup truck. And he gets in the truck. And sometimes there's lots to talk about. God, my marriage is on the rocks and I need this. And then, blah, 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 you know, and there's lots to talk about. And other times he says, I get in the truck and we just sit there quietly. And we just drive down the road. And then when Jesus swings back, when it's time to end the, the session, when, I, when it's time to go back to work or time to whatever, time to make breakfast for the kids, Jesus will pull back to my house, let me out, and I'll just look at Jesus and say, it was just really good being with you. You don't always have to hear something profound, but, but Jesus is with you. His presence is there in that place, and he's waiting for you. Who doesn't want to spend just a few moments with the creator of the universe, the God who loves you unconditionally? The second thing that we're going to talk about is I believe being rooted in love means also being rooted in community with the church. In addition to being rooted in intimacy with God, we have to be rooted in community. First Peter 1.22, again, it's all about love. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And he's talking to, he's talking to the church. He's writing to people who are part of the same family. Love one another earnestly. I mentioned this earlier that independence and isolation have become very natural and normal in our culture, but they are countercultural to Christianity. Let me say this again. Independence and isolation are countercultural to what Jesus established. Christianity simply does not work in isolation. It only works in the context of community. And if you're here this morning going, I disagree, Pastor. I've been doing great. Well, good for you. Tell me your secret. But it just doesn't work. That we cannot remain in isolation, disconnected from community. We were not designed that way. And the enemy will do everything he can do to isolate you. He, he either tries to get you so hurt and so offended that you say, I feel misunderstood. <clears throat> I don't want anybody to control my life. I want to do my own thing. Or he tries to isolate you with shame over some issues in your life. And whenever you find yourself hiding from people or trying to push them, uh, try to push them away, there's an alarm bell that should go off in your head that says the enemy is trying to isolate me. And next you should have the same response every time that alarm bell goes off by saying, I'm going to talk to someone. I refuse to be isolated because isolation is a killer. It will take you down. Nothing destroys the power of shame or offense like choosing to move towards community. But when we're hurt and when we want to do our own thing, the easiest thing to do 
is to isolate and to say, I'm just going to go after Jesus on my own. I don't need anybody else. But we were not designed that way. Keep in mind what Paul has already written in Ephesians 2 regarding unity and being one, being one body in Christ. We're being built into one holy temple of the Lord. Community in the church is not optional for the Christian. It's essential. You do not have everything you need on your own. And if we did, God would have left Adam alone in the garden. You don't have everything you need on your own. You need community. We are the body of Christ. You are alone are not the body of Christ. But when we are together, we become the body of Christ. We're all being built up into the same temple of the Holy Spirit. The third soil is service to the, wor- service to the world. Being rooted in love means being rooted in service to the world as well. Matthew 25, 40. When Jesus <clears throat> talks about this parable of uh, the goats and the sheep, he, he, in, in Matthew chapter 25, he tells this parable about taking care of others and visiting them in prison and giving them water when they were thirsty or feeding them when they were hungry. And he says to the people listening in Matthew 25, 40, he says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the, to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That when we serve others, when we love others, we are actually loving God. When we love others and serve others, we're showing our love for God. Jesus experienced daily intimacy with the Father. He rooted himself in a community of disciples. But his ultimate goal was to serve the world by laying down his life. That's why he came. And we've come to view leadership as this Uh, leadership or greatness is viewed as this top-down model. The the truly exceptional people are the ones on the platform or invisible leadership roles, but Jesus modeled greatness in a very different way. He revealed that true leadership is not truly top-down at all. True greatness and leadership is best displayed in humility and service to one another. He said this in Matthew 23, 11. He said, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, Jesus pushed back against the idea that greatness is equivalent to being seen by others. He pushed back of this idea and said Jesus married the concepts of greatness and leadership and royalty with the concepts of humility and love and service to others. I'm going to invite Kieran to come up. We're going to land the plane soon. One of the most powerful yet difficult things in this life is the, is the ability to take your eyes off of yourself and off of your needs and place them onto others. And in the West especially, we can develop an entitled attitude that justifies ignoring the needs of others and, and looking out for number one, right? Me, number one. But Jesus, he was God in the flesh, And God in the flesh gave his life and washed the feet of filthy fishermen. He modeled for us what greatness and success and leadership truly looks like. He was rooted in service to the world. You know, Jesus would often withdraw to to places and and experience this intimacy with God. He also surrounded himself with community. That he, he brought together 12 disciples and many more who followed him. And he made sure that he was in the context of community. 
And of course, he was rooted in service to the world. And we see these three things in the life of David as well. That David was described as being a man after God's own heart. And yes, David messed up. He did not live the perfect life. But David was rooted in intimacy with God. And we can see that before he became king, he was a humble shepherd. And he would worship the Lord with his harp. And he would spend time in the presence of God when nobody was watching. Developing this secret relationship with the Lord that nobody knew about. And I'm sure it was a shock when he stood before a giant and he displayed such courage and boldness. People were probably like, where is this coming from? David, man, you are bold. Where do you get that? David would tell them probably, it's in the secret place. I killed a lion and a bear when nobody was watching. When nobody was watching, I took down those things. Every single one of us have lions and bears that we need to deal with in the secret place. Nobody is watching. Gaining victory over the lions and the bears will give you victory in the public place when it's time to face the giants. David developed this intimacy with God in the field, but he also surrounded himself with mighty men. He had a community. Jonathan, who was like a brother to him, he had a community of people that he was rooted in. And David also modeled wonderfully what it looks like to serve somebody who even was trying to kill you. That Saul was was intent on killing David, but David served Saul for 14 years. Already, D- David was, a, was anointed to become the next king of Israel, but he waited for 14 years and served the current king while he was waiting to become king. And he modeled wonderfully what it looks like to serve others. You could pick a person in the Bible, some great man or woman, you could see these three things in their life. But discipleship, spiritual formation, the process of becoming like Jesus, if we want to get serious about it, and if we don't want a shallow faith, one that withers away, we have to be rooted in all three of these things. So what is our, what is our church plan? Where, what, what, what does our church do to help people in the process of spiritual growth? Because coming on Sunday is great. You know, shaking hands with somebody, giving them a hug. But it doesn't last long. How are you doing? Great. I love that the hussies invited us over because uh, Kyle mentioned, you know, you can only get to know somebody for, you know, that, that handshake. How, how was your week? It was good. Great. All right. How are you? But when you go and you sit with somebody and you sit across the table, you get to know their family, that, uh, uh, that relationship grows. And so what is our church doing to uh, help everyone here develop more roots? Well, we have this thing called Rooted. And maybe you've heard of it. Rooted is a 10-week experience. What I love about Rooted, I did it for the first time last November. And what I love about Rooted is it's not your typical small group. A lot of times, small groups uh, can tend to be inward-focused. I love small groups. I love Bible studies. I think that they are so important. They're so valuable. But what's even better is when you get a people together, they start reading the Word of God, and they say, we have to reach out. We have to do more than just focus this inward. What I love about Rooted is it's a 10-week experience that's engaged. It's engaging the community. And so uh, throughout Rooted, you go through a series of topics, and you learn about prayer, and you learn about more about the Word of God. You learn about the love of God. You develop intimacy with the Father. But you also, uh, every Rooted group goes through a prayer experience. And so your Rooted group, uh, throughout these 10 weeks, will pick a day, and, and you learn how to pray both 
together and on your own, and then you come together and you share a meal and talk about what the Lord was speaking to you. And another thing about Rooted is there's also a service experience. And so every Rooted group together decides something that they're going to do to bless the community. And so the, the, the group comes together and they, they say, what, what are we going to do to reach out to our community? How can we make a difference in the world around us? And so it, it pu- pushes the focus outward on other people. And so maybe you're sitting here this morning. And I want to ask yourself, of those three soils, intimacy with God, community in the church, service to the world, which of those three soils might you say, I need to begin to develop roots or I need to grow stronger in this soil. I need to, to lay some, some roots down. Just begin to ask yourself that right now. If I'm honest with you, this week, I've needed to grow some roots in intimacy with the Lord. I felt distant this past week. I felt like I'm on empty. And here's the beautiful thing about community is I came here this morning and I was honest with people just before we began the service. I just told them, I said, hey, if I'm being transparent, I feel empty. I feel like I don't have anything to give this morning. And they began to just surround me with prayer. And as we're praying, I could feel the Holy Spirit filling me up and encouraging me. This is why we need community. Because without it, we go forever on empty, thinking that we're just going to wake up one day and our tank's going to be full. It doesn't work like that. So would you stand with me, church? I want to invite, uh, if any of our ministry teams are here, um, I want to invite you to the front. As Kieran plays the guitar, we're going to close in prayer in just a moment. What we like to do is uh, the ministry teams are going to stay up here for a while. We're going to dismiss. But if you need prayer, if you need to be encouraged, maybe you're like me this morning. You feel like, I'm just on E. I'm on empty. Then find somebody up here who can pray with you and speak life into you. Would you close your eyes with me? Heavenly Father, we pray for your spirit to fill this place. And God, I thank you for every person who's here, that it's not by accident that they are here. You've brought them here to speak to their heart. And Father, I pray that you would transform us, that we would take these words that we've read from Ephesians, and we would do something with it. God, I pray for those who have been distant from community, who have felt isolated, who have been hurt by people, and they've they put a wall between them and others for fear of getting hurt again. God, I pray for healing to take place and for more opportunities. God, I pray for courage as they reach back out, they step back out into community, knowing that nobody's perfect. People make mistakes, but God, you designed us for community. God, I pray for the people here who feel distant and far away. God, would you fill them with your love, that they would experience an intimacy. God, I pray for those who uh, are, are, have been so inward focused their whole life, they've never stepped out in faith and served in any capacity. God, I pray that you'd give them courage and boldness and open doors for them, for them to begin to serve in new ways. We love you, Jesus, and we pray for your Holy Spirit to seal this time. In your name we pray. Amen.